This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Abel of the Sustainable Self-Development Podcast. Thank you for being here, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Of course. So for the listeners who might not know, will you just give us a quick background of who you are and what you're up to right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a content creator, podcaster, and video maker, I guess, uh, in the fitness industry. I started off on this um, whole fitness journey, kind of battling my own demons, so to speak. And once I found that to be an interesting thing to discuss publicly, perhaps, then I started off with my own podcast, initially just interviewing people, then starting to put my own thoughts out there. And mainly I discuss um, sort of sustainable practices in fitness, which can allow people to maintain their body composition, improve it over time, of course, and how to do that while living a reasonable lifestyle and how to avoid some of those pitfalls that uh, I think a lot of us can fall into at certain stages of our fitness journey. And that's sort of my passion, kind of teaching the average person how to live a lifestyle that allows for good body composition, sort of being a part of the fitness world, but not doing it in a way that kind of just burns us out and um, leads us down paths that we would not want to go down. So that's kind of what I'm doing um, as far as the fitness industry is concerned. Okay. So let me ask you this. Why, where does that passion for kind of helping people find this balance come from because like we mentioned your podcast is the sustainable self-development podcast not the like get fucking jacked all the time (laughs) podcast like where did this come from yeah uh that's uh that's a good question and honestly i think it comes from it comes from a place where i think if you look at a lot of um people in the industry their passion mainly comes from battling their own struggles for a long time and over time, finding that they are not alone with those struggles. And I think when we overcome some of these things, that makes us passionate about telling others how they could do the same thing. And um, I just, I got really fascinated early on by the psychology of dieting, uh, what that can do to us, what behaviors it can push us towards, some behaviors that we would never think initially that we could fall for. And when I saw that so many other people are struggling with that too, then I, I just got more and more into that. And um, yeah, honestly, that's probably where it comes from. Okay. Okay. That makes complete sense. And yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I feel like all of us so much kind of, it's kind of taking people through the same journey that we've been on. And that's the most like as a coach or even like a content creator like helping other people out of similar situations where you yourself were once stuck is generally like the most rewarding thing so i love that man um so like we talked about i really wanted to talk with you about this idea of body fat settling point on the podcast that said again before we get into that i want to dive into your story kind of how you got where you are today basically the last because 
as of now, like you're a dude, you're in great shape, um, super lean. But I don't think that this is something that always came naturally to you. So I kind of want to talk through your training career, diving into nutrition and really what that's looked like for you, because I know you've had a lot of struggles along the way there as well. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the the kind words about my physique. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So at first I sort of got got into fitness and wanting to improve my body composition as a means of just trying to improve my life in general. Um, which I think is once again a common theme that you will see with many people. I was going through a sort of a rough patch in my life where a lot of things were not working out to me as much as I would wanted them to. Uh, I was kind of struggling with my studies at the time. I was not having a, kind of a great time socially either. So I thought, eh, you know, getting into the gym and trying to do something there could be a fun way to at least kind of remedy myself mentally in the meanwhile. And I, I knew that exercise can have these positive impacts on you. So I got into that. And then that's what eventually led me down to listening to podcasts, fitness podcasts. I started to come across the work of some of the good guys in the industry. Initially, it was people like Martin Burkhan. Eventually, I came across people like Eric Helms and Menno and all these guys that now I look to as my kind of informal mentors. And uh, as I've gotten deeper and deeper into it, uh, eventually I kind of figured out what diet practices work best. Um, so I managed to get myself like really lean. Then that was probably my first kind of introduction into serious things that you can do with your body composition and how to actually good, get good results. But I think it was also my first introduction into the weird dieting psychology that you can get into. And that sort of led me down really rugged kind of three or four year long journey where I was honestly just battling against my own brain. So I would diet down. I would be happy that I finally accomplished it. Then I would rebound, uh, have, go through tons of binge eating periods. I would hate myself. Then eventually when my self-hatred outweighed my urges to binge, then I would somehow summon the motivation to diet down again. And I would go through periods like that again and again. And at first, it sort of worked out okay, until it's uh, it's something that just takes a toll on you. Like each upcoming dieting period would become incrementally less successful. I would be more and more prone to fall off the wagon. And then the rebounding periods would also become incrementally worse until eventually I got myself to the point where I could just not get myself to diet down again. Um, probably in part that was because I had no faith in myself anymore. It's like, why do it if I'm going to rebound anyway? Uh, and honestly, at some points, it's, um, it has spiraled into behaviors which I was amazed that I even had the potential to be so pathological around food. I mean, I talk about it pretty honestly on my podcast because some of these stories are pretty much humorous in, in some sense, like kind of the, my rock bottom moments with food. It's, it's pretty fascinating to think about them. Obviously, it was not funny at the time and they caused me a lot of stress. I kind of hit this rock bottom moment and sort of through a culmination of serendipitous things that happened in my life, like meeting my girlfriend at the time, certain things that kind of snapped me out of this really gray, dark reality that I created for myself. 
I kind of realized that, you know, there are things in life that are, you know, good things in life that can happen to you besides just dieting and fitness. And there are things for which it's worth to try improving on myself again. And that's when I decided that I needed to make a radical shift. And one part of that shift was letting go of tracking, um, which we can talk about. That's kind of a separate topic in and of itself. But I think that was something that I just needed at the time to break free from all of these super neurotic behaviors that I kind of engineered for myself. And that was something that kind of allowed me to find a more sustainable way for me to eat and just not constantly think about my fitness goals and my leanness goals. And that was kind of the the beginnings of what I would call my you know sustainable self-development journey where I really, I think, started to find a way to integrate fitness into my life and not completely let it consume everything. And um, I would say since then, things have become incrementally better each year. I would find a way to kind of live my best life while also gradually improving on my body composition. Um, of course, with some ups and downs. So I just I've just gotten super lean for a photo shoot at the end of 2019, and that was sort of sort of a nice reminder of wow, okay, like these uh, neurotic dieting tendencies, they can still be reinvoked anytime if I wanted them to. Uh, but for the most part, I think I managed to find myself uh, a really nice kind of sweet spot where I'm still passionate about fitness. I'm still passionate about building the best body that I can and staying lean and all of those nice things. But I'm confident in saying that it's not overtaking my life anymore. So that's my that's my kind of long story of uh, redemption, if you will. <laughs> so I want to take it back just a bit. So when you initially had this shift from kind of like you were struggling so intensely with all these neurotic diet practices to kind of breaking free from that, was that literally just like you had one moment where it was just a mindset shift or were there... Were there any specific things you could see as like the catalyst? I know you said tracking was one of the biggest things that you kind of let go of to kind of help you break free of this. Were there any, was there anything else specific that you like did to like, okay, I am going to let go of this. Um, anything at all you can think of there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this this has a very specific story, and I was just trying to kind of skim over it uh, because honestly, we could spend an entire podcast just discussing this very thing. I once I actually recorded like a forty five minute podcast episode just on this kind of turning point. But basically, what happened was um, I really got to the point where I was just in a no man's land. So on the one hand, I was not enjoying my life because I dedicated everything to fitness and dieting and training, not so much because I had this um, rational dialogue with myself that, okay, this is the most important thing to me in life. It's just that that kind of everything else got ex- excluded gradually over time, and I didn't know any other way of being. I had no social life by that point because I kind of learned to alienate myself from other people. So I was kind of intentionally not making friends. A couple of weird or funny stories about that in and of itself. And so I was in that state on the one hand, but on the other hand, I could not really do the things with my body and with my kind of fitness progressions that I would want to do because I complete I was completely burnt out on the whole restriction and dieting sort of thing. So I was at, in a at a body composition which I was not happy with, maybe like, you know, 20 or so percent body fat, which, you know, for the average person who is not interested in like looking a certain way or 
these sorts of things. That's you know, I I, w- I looked like a normal person, so I was not walking around obese or anything like that. But I was like, you know, for someone who is so invested into fitness as I am. I, this is not even close to what I would want for myself. I was not burnt out on training, so at least that was a good thing. That was something that I still enjoyed. But other than that, it was like, man, my days are dry and boring. I just uh, go to the gym, I work out, and then I go home and usually overeat, and then I feel grossed out and kind of ashamed of what I did, and I'm making all kinds of resolutions that I will not do it the next day, but it still ends up happening. So I was getting the the worst of all worlds, like not enjoying myself, but also not getting results. So it was kind of like the worst possible state. And I kind of decided not so much rationally, it was just born out of necessity that I would just not care that much for a while. So I kind of started not tracking. I was still sort of tracking loosely, but I was kind of just eating whatever. And I also tried to keep myself busy with something because I kind of felt intuitively that I need some other outlet because this is just driving me mad. So I started kind of Tinder dating, went on a couple of dates with a few girls, um, which was, you know, like nothing nothing crazy remarkable happened. This was not the beginning of some sort of a pickup artist journey or anything like that. It was just, it was just nice to do something different, you know, like sitting into a bar or, or in a restaurant, like having some casual flirting or something, and then going home thinking about what happened. And I was like, oh man, this is so nice. Like at least some other things that are keeping me engaged. And I also noticed that, wow, like while I'm doing this, I'm really not thinking about food. <laughs> I'm really not thinking about how, how, how I will diet. This is just something that keeps me completely focused, engaged emotionally, mentally in every way. And um, that was kind of the the beginnings of realizing that, okay, I really need to make a change because some cool things are happening out there in the world and I'm completely isolating myself from all of those things. And I'm still like relatively young. I'm, I'm kind of missing out. And then um, I ended up meeting my girlfriend, which was uh, just a really cool experience. It was, you know, I don't want to be too corny here. Uh, I don't want to turn off your li- listeners. But, you know, when you meet someone special that you're like really attracted to, that's... Uh, that's just a completely different state of mind that you're in, uh, emotionally hyped up. And the whole world stops functioning in your mind, at least compared to how it was before. And that was kind of like the, the nail in the coffin when I, I realized, okay, this, what I've been doing so far, this is just not a way to be. And um, that was kind of, that was kind of a moment when I realized that I need to do something drastically different. And then I was like, okay, what is something that I did not do so far? So I tried a lot of different things. I tried a lot of different ways to diet and to live my fitness lifestyle. What if I just let go of one very critical component of the way I was doing things so far? And that was like, okay, what if I didn't track for a while? I just completely let go of that aspect of things. Um, maybe I could not think about food and fitness and dieting so much. And that's actually exactly what ended up happening. And uh, that's that's why, at least in my case, Letting go of tracking was one really critical element of all of this. I'm not saying that it would be the case for everybody else as well. But for me, that was an important aspect. And um, yeah, I would say from then then onwards, a completely new beginning started for me. Um, I don't know if that answered it. It was, it was just a complete mess. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> no, no, 100%. And that's just, it sounded like you had this big, almost like a specific moment. And it sounds like for you, it was just realizing... That there is so much more to life, like so much more out there to be enjoyed than just like 
focusing on your body composition and also realizing that you were kind of you were very much spinning your wheels within your fitness as well yeah yeah exactly exactly it's um and that that's something that i see with a lot of other people as well where it's you know when when you're completely consumed with your fitness then it can be gratifying in a way if you're at least getting results so when i was doing my photo shoot diet uh, a couple of months ago, then by the end of it, I was sort of very much living like a hermit once again, because honestly, socializing and eating out and all of these things were just such a pain in the ass to manage that I was like, you know what, I would rather just be by myself. Let me get my training sessions in. Let me get my very specific meals in. But at the same time, I had a very specific goal and I could see that I'm progressing towards it at a very predictable pace. But when that's not happening and you're just kind of making yourself miserable and you're not even getting what you want to get out of this whole thing, then that's a really sad place to be. No, 100%. And I think that, like, I know I've been there where I thought that, okay, once I get ripped or once I get, once I build enough muscle, then that's going to be the point where I'm happy with myself, right? Like, then I'm really going to like myself. Everybody around me is going to love me just for some reason because I'm ripped. That's just going to happen. And I think that a lot of people similarly, like, when they attach, like, I I mean, I always tell clients our, our, our initial call, like, having abs, like, if somebody's goal is to get lean, like, you having abs isn't going to make you happy. Like, it's cool to go through this process. But like, I think often too, people have to go through this like realization of like, (laughs) well, the physical changes are great. There is a lot more to life than this. And like the physical side of itself, like even if you are seeing those changes, like if that's all you're focusing on, you're probably still not going to be super happy. Yeah. Yeah. This whole chasing aesthetics or chasing a certain body composition with the hope that it will make you happy. It, It is a very interesting psychology because um, on the one hand, the way I think about kind of being in, in good shape and how it will make you feel, it's kind of like money in that, you know, having a lot of money will not make you happy, but, you know, being completely destitute can make you unhappy, right? So the absence of money can increase unhappiness. And it's sort of like the same thing with body comp in that, you know, being lean won't make you happy, but being in considerably worse shape than what you know you're capable of, especially if that is coupled with behaviors that are making you feel out of control. So when you feel like some compulsive tendencies are pulling you away from living up to your potential, so to speak, that can make you unhappy. So what you know, and since then, I mean, I bulked up to like higher body fat percentages, you know, like 20% or so. I didn't look my best. Um, and my girlfriend was even joking with me like, oh, look at your puffy face and whatever. But, you know, like that didn't make me any more unhappy or any less happy than I was before because that was something that I wanted to do. It was intentional. I didn't feel like this is just something that sucks me in and I have no control over this thing. So that was completely fine. When earlier on, I went up to these higher body fat percentages and that was because I could just not control myself and I made promises to myself and I broke them again and again, that made me unhappy. But that was a much deeper thing rather than just, I am unhappy because I'm not 10% body fat. So definitely a very complex thing uh, from that perspective. And that's, I think, should be the goal for most people. That's certainly what makes me happy. If if anything makes me happy about my fitness journey is that, is that I feel like right. I'm in control now. Like that is something that is handled. 
Um, and I think that that should be the goal for for most people. But one one, one other thing I wanted to mention is uh, I almost feel like a lot of people go through these kind of yo-yo periods intentionally because at least it it make it keeps them busy. Um, at least that's something I observe with myself. It's like you know, like going up to a higher body fat percentage and then dieting down. That's always something that can give you a nice goal, <laughs> you know. Because I honestly, I I looked back at sir, some older pictures of mine when I was like super skinny and like barely any body fat visibly, and I was still trying to diet. And I looked at that and I was like, why was I trying to cut here? This is ridiculous. And then this friend of friend of mine just looked at me and he said, you know, probably you were just looking for something to do. And that's so true. So I think a lot of people go into it with that kind of a mindset, but. That that's just speculation of mine. <laughs> I honestly haven't looked at it like that. Um, I I like it though. I really I really like the money analogy and this idea of like basically you're keeping your promises to yourself is like the thing out of all of this that makes you happy, which I I agree is very true. So then moving forward to like your most recent photo shoot and getting like dieting back down for that. Like psychologically, was that a struggle for you just coming from the past that you have? Um, it was, I wouldn't say it was a struggle. Um, it was um, definitely definitely something that scared me, the idea that I would track again. That was, that was something that I was kind of reluctant to do at first. So I was trying to do it kind of ad libitum, kind of auto-regulated eating, habit-based eating. That's how I was trying to do it in the beginning. Because, um, yeah, I very much had this negative association with tracking. And, but then after a certain time, I realized like, okay, I'm actually very, I'm very dedicated now to this goal. Like I really want to get down to a, a body fat percentage, which where I'm photo shoot worthy. Like I really want to do that. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put together a meal plan based on these numbers. I, it was like 22 to 2400 calories. I'm going to have these meals. I'm just going to eat that every day. And that's going to be how I'm going to do things. Um, at first, I was definitely reluctant to do that. After that, it didn't really it didn't really affect me in a PTSD way of, oh, my God, the old memories are kicking in. The diet itself definitely rattled me, though. It was it was a very rough uh, journey. And honestly, it's I think the explanation to that is mainly that it was my first time getting that lean. I was lean before, like around the 10% body fat mark, but I've never gotten down to this level of leanness. And um, honestly, I think it was kind of like losing your virginity. Like the, the first the, the first time is not going to be the most amazing time. Um, and honestly, it was like that. So it's the next time I will do something like this, I will be definitely much smarter and I will approach it in a very different way. So a lot of the stories that you hear from natural bodybuilders that are dieting down to a contest and how it impacts their relationships, what kind of weird behaviors they are getting into. Okay. I experienced most of those things, which was somewhat disappointing to me because I knew I listened to so much, so many podcasts and so many conversations with these guys like Eric Helms, where they talk about these things that I was like, you know, I should know better. I know what to expect. And then it still ended up happening. And that was... Right. In retrospect, kind of disappointing. Uh, while it happened, I almost didn't notice that it was happening to me because it, it kind of just like it, it sucked me in insidiously. Um, but yeah, so it, it was definitely a very rough journey mentally, physically, in every way. Um, but yeah, I, I think it it just comes with the territory when you're 
you're kind of going to war against your body. I mean, your body is not meant to do this. We like doing these things because, you know, it's it's just another, it's kind of like surfing or rock climbing or something. You're taking a risk and you're kind of playing with the fire, so to speak. But yeah, hopefully next time I will be better about all of those things. Okay, so my question for you then is, next time you do get lean, what will you do differently? So I think I will... I will make a commitment to be self-aware enough to where if I see that it's impacting my relationships to an extent where it's actually risking, you know, causing permanent damage, then I will have the mental presence to just pull out or do something drastically different. So the next time I will do something like this, I will let my girlfriend know and I will ask her to tell me very candidly, like, am I turning into an asshole? Am I ruining our relationship? Because honestly, that's what I did. And um, and I just had the mindset of, okay, I'm done with this whole thing in two weeks, whatever. I'm just going to suck it up until then. We will make compromises. And my girlfriend is really nice, so she will tolerate me. But in two weeks, I'm done. And then after two weeks, I was like, oh, shit, I'm still not lean enough. Okay, another two weeks. And basically, the whole thing ended up being like maybe like a, like six weeks longer than what I anticipated. Because that's the other thing. I didn't know how much fat I really needed to lose. You know, I was maybe 84 kilos or so. And I thought that at 81 kilos, I would be like shredded. And I needed to go down to like 76 kilos, you know? And and that's, so I, first of all, I will be, I will know that this will be a long diet. So there is no place for rushing it. You have to be patient. You have to be, be as balanced as you can be. And at a certain point, you have to treat, you know, handling your relationships is, is almost like handling your job. It's something that you have to do even when you don't feel like doing it. It's like in normal everyday life, hopefully the nice things, the compromises, the being polite with others, being patient, all these things hopefully are coming somewhat naturally. But there comes a point where all you think about is yourself, managing your hunger, going to bed at a certain time, doing things the way you want to do them. And it's just what you are at that point. And you have to be very intentional about managing these things. Um, so I think just knowing that I will turn into this creature, which I would not want to be like, I think that will help a lot. Because this time I didn't know it. It was kind of, it took me all by surprise. And only when I was looking back, now I think of specific situations where I was like, how, how could I be such a dick? Like, how could I not see how rude I am and things like that? Um, yeah, so I, I think experience is a huge mitigator of a lot of these things. Um, so hope, hopefully it will help. Okay. Okay. I love it. And I think that very much so like dieting to get lean dieting is dieting. You always hear like this is almost a cliche at this point, like dieting is almost a skill, but I think, or like you said, it's more like these reps, like the more we practice, the more you've gone through this, like, okay, next time you know what to expect. I know better how to handle my relationships. And I think that aspect of it is huge. And like you mentioned as well, also just realizing that like if it is your first time getting lean, how much lighter you actually have to get than you'd expect. Like I know for me, for my first photo shoot, I started the process at 2.30 and I thought, okay, by the time I'm by the time I'm like 205 pounds, I'm going to be so lean. And then it ended up being I had to get to 180 pounds to get to the point where I wanted oh, to wow. be. But I think for most like for most natural people, that's just the reality of the process as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it is insane. It was uh, honestly, it was shocking. Because the thing is, you 
you have those poses that you hit in the mirror when you look the best. And based on that, you conclude that like, okay, like I don't have to get that much leaner. And then there comes a point where from your favorite poses, you look pretty similar, like you're not noticing that much of a difference, but your body weight keeps going down, body, body weight keeps going down. And then you realize like, ah, okay, so I had fat in other places, which I never even thought about, like my legs, how much fat I'm holding there. I, it, I just never thought about it. I just had this moment where I was playing Xbox or something and I got up from the couch and I was like, holy shit, there are veins on my quads. What the hell? I was like, oh my goodness, this can actually happen to me. This is crazy. And that's when I realized like, okay, so I'm, I'm kind of losing fat from everywhere. And that's why my body weight just keeps going down and down and down. And I, from my most muscular pose from the front, I still look the same. So yeah, I mean, it, it was a very educational experience. And honestly, it made me realize how, how much I underestimated my body fat percentage before, which was kind of embarrassing because I kind of prided myself on as, as being someone who can estimate body fat percentages pretty well. Um, and then it made me realize like, no, like absolutely not. Like when I, earlier I said that I'm 9% body fat, I was more like 13% body fat. When I thought I was 12% body fat, I was more like 16 or 17% body fat. Like this is kind of embarrassing, but, um, yeah, (laughs) in such a humbling experience in every way. No, I, I agree, man. I think for me, the biggest thing I realized after getting ready for my first photo shoot was, I didn't actually have near as much muscle on my frame as I expected. Like I never, ever thought I would see the scale go below 200 again. But anyways, brother, uh, one thing that I really wanted to talk to you about as well on the show, like I mentioned earlier, was this idea of body fat settling point. Like we mentioned, for you, just being lean isn't something that seems to come supernaturally or not, it's not necessarily easy for you, is it? Yeah, yeah, I, I would definitely say that. I, I don't think that I'm disadvantaged from a physical point of view. Like, I don't think, I don't think that I have a genetically super high appetite. I don't think that my body wants me to be fat, but I'm, you could call me an emotional eater. Um, that that's something that that you could call me. Maybe even that's not the best best term. But I'm just someone who derives a lot of psychological relief from eating. And oftentimes, when something bad happens to me, that is something that can make me feel better, or at least that's how I see it at the time. It, it doesn't actually make me feel better. Like when I have a problem, the problem will still be there. Is just, you know, when something bad happens, something stressful, where I have a bad night of sleep or something like that, you know, different people have different things that they want to do in that moment. Some people have the urge to sit down and play video games. Some people have the urge to light up a cigarette or something. My first thought is, oh my God, it would be so good to eat a lot of food, you know? So uh, from that perspective, I definitely have a harder time staying lean than I would want. Which that undoubtedly is very relatable to many people listening to this podcast because I know I've worked with endless clients to where like, okay, stress comes up, something shitty happens in their life. The first thing we turn to is generally like some type of emotional eating, right? So for you then, do you mind, because basically summing this up off of a YouTube video I watch of yours about essentially trying to change your body fat settling point. Do you mind just giving us a quick definition of like, to you, what is this idea of a body fat settling point? Yeah, well, and, and and that's the first challenge right there, because there are a number of ways in which we could define it. I mean, the original idea is something like you have sort of a genetic blueprint and 
your body wants, quote unquote, wants you to be at a certain body composition. And if you get leaner than that, then it will kind of pull you back. If you get fatter than that, it will kind of pull you back. But then, of course, we have to factor in your lifestyle. So I think that any given person could have like two or three different settling points based on the lifestyle that they have. So I think I could perfectly well have a settling point at 25% body fat. If I'm eating certain foods, I'm eating them at a certain time, and I have a certain structure to my diet, and I could have a settling point at 12% body fat as well. If I structure my day in a certain way, if I keep certain foods in the house, I pay attention to my meal times in a certain way, if I'm exercising in a certain way. So I think you have to factor those things in. And I think if we want to be kind of the most practical and also like helpful, perhaps, it would be kind of the body fat, the body fat percentage which you can maintain with a reasonable compromise between restriction and enjoyment, which you can reasonably sustain in the long term. So the body fat, the body fat percentage where you end up with that kind of a setup is kind of your sustainable body fat percentage, your body fat settling point. And of course, you always can get leaner than that, and it, you can definitely get fatter than that as well. But perhaps it's not too much to ask to not get fatter than that if you maintain these certain behaviors, which are really not that crazy hard. And, you know, you can definitely get leaner than that, but then you will have to kind of chronically live with a certain amount of restriction, which might never become natural to the point where you can just completely ignore them and live your life as if they were not there. So I, that, that would be my definition. <laughs> no, that that was great. So, and... Basically, it's very much a combination of different genetic factors, like you mentioned, like a lot of appetite is genetic, um, many people's levels of need, so like how much we fidget, how much we blink, different things like that are also to a certain extent genetic. But then there's also these different environmental factors, like you talked about, like different foods you keep in your house, for example, or like how often you train that tend to play in this as well. So for you, you're someone that we could almost say has very effectively decreased your body fat settling point. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what would you say for you specifically have been the biggest keys to like lowering this quote unquote settling point? Yeah, for me, so first of all, I should preface this by saying, because I think if I, if I just launch into my strategies, then it will become like, oh, that's super boring. <laughs> but I want to preface this by saying that I'm very much a pragmatist when it comes to this. So there is a, there is a book that I read some time ago, which, um, which is basically about how to solve problems. Like what is the simplest way to s solve most of the problems in your life? And it starts with a kind of a joke or a story where... There is a man who has a problem, and his problem is that he thinks that there are monsters under his bed, and he's struggling with that. So he goes to a psychologist to try to solve this. And the psychologist is kind of the psychoanalyst, so they start talking through like what happened in his childhood, what was his relationship with his friends in kindergarten, what's his relationship with his mother right now. And he keeps going to therapy for months and months on end, until eventually after like a year and a half, he decides, you know what, this is not working. So he just leaves the psychologist. And then a month later, they run into each other, the psychologist and the ex-patient. And the psychologist asks him like, hey, 
So how is your problem? Did you solve your monsters under your bed problem? And it's like, yeah, yeah, actually, I completely solved it. Like, I'm no longer struggling with it. And then the psychologist is like, hey, how did you do that? It's like, well, I went to another psychologist, and he recommended me to cut off the legs of my bed. <laughs> and and that's and that's sort of um, the way I think about a lot of these things is that you know we can try to complicate these things end- endlessly and we can dig into a lot of like intricate stuff with how your mind works but I and, and I think there's definitely a lot of value to them so I, I I'm not trying to dismiss these strategies but I think there are very practical solutions that a lot of people can take and that might actually solve the problem without them even noticing anything. So the first thing that I did for myself is I identified the culprit foods that I had. You know, what are those foods that I just seemingly cannot control myself with? That was kind of step one. So that was kind of an instrumental step, just simply not keeping those foods in the house anymore. The next thing is just managing energy density. So, you know, I have a decently big appetite. I don't think I'm a freak. I don't have like freakishly huge appetite, but I like to eat a lot. So for the most part, I just, I'm just limiting myself to satiating, but enjoyable foods, of course. So I do enjoy every meal that I have, but they're fundamentally lower, lower calorie foods. And then mindfulness is another big thing. Um, simply paying attention to the act of eating, actually experiencing a meal, not being distracted, that I still notice to these days. And I'm still sort of amazed by, you know, even when I have these moments of, man, I just want to overeat right now. (laughs) Like, I feel like shit. I'm sleep deprived. It's like, man, it would be such a great thing to do right now to just put down a shit ton of food. If I just eat mindfully and I'm paying attention to the meal, I will still feel pretty satisfied after eating like, you know, six, 700 calories tops, you know? And I can just move on. And it's like, wow, like I was in this super shitty mindset and I still got by on a very, very reasonable amount of calories. And then just managing my energy expenditure to a reasonable extent. So I'm not talking about doing crazy amounts of cardio, but just some simple system that allows me to get in, you know, a decent amount of physical activity each day. So I think the step counter, of course, you can get obsessive with it, but getting in something like, you know, seven to 10,000 steps a day, I think that's a very nice way of just keeping yourself decently active. And it has a couple of benefits. I think just physical exercise has a very nice way of kind of managing your mental state. And this is definitely that I noticed now where I couldn't have as much physical activity for a while as I wanted to because of the curfews and the quarantines. Um, And I'm definitely noticing that when I'm more physically active, I have a much easier time managing my food intake as well. And there is also research showing that being more physically active will help you to be in tune with your satiety signals much better. And then, of course, there are other things on top of that, um, managing social events. Definitely, there are things to be set for managing your mindset, learning to rate your hunger, being able to distinguish between a craving and hunger and a lot of these things. But I would say that those are kind of like the fine-tuning elements of all of this. I think if most people did these things, then you know, maybe they would not be at the body fat percentage that they are dreaming of maintaining. Maybe they would not look like their favorite Instagram influencer or they wouldn't have their body fat percentage. But I I would be pretty confident in saying that they would not be significantly fatter than what they want for themselves. So I think this is like a very good first step for most people. Right. And I feel like that's all super, super applicable as well. I love the analogy of cutting the legs off the bed. I think that so many people 
Um, I think often people think that like, okay, in the future, when I have this super healthy relationship with food, then I'm just going to be able to keep my house stocked with like ice cream and Oreos and all these foods, not to like demonize those, but just foods that people typically struggle to overeat. And I'm just going to be able to resist them nonstop. It's going to be fine. But I think the reality is for most people that just like, again, have an easier time staying relatively lean most people are like that are just generally better at putting themselves in situations where those temptations aren't always present. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, um, you know, I think that that's like some real next level stuff, which ideally we would, we will all get to at, at some point, you know? Um, but I, I don't know if I will ever be in a place where my house will be stocked full of peanut butter and chocolate bars and stuff. And, I can just, uh, you know, get by the whole year without ever going through a, a rough patch due to having those around. Hopefully I will get there, but, um, you know, I, I don't think that one would have to set that as a goal from the get-go. So, yeah, I would agree with you. And I think that's very much the reality for most people is just like we want to push you in these situations where you don't have to constantly use your willpower to like resist these. And I think like, like you mentioned for, I think generally that's like one of the easiest first steps for people to take is just assess like, Hey, what foods in my house am I really struggling with overdoing right now? Okay. Maybe I just need to clear those out or like, maybe we find a way to where I like eat this in like a smaller dose. So like, again, like taking it back to ice cream, instead of keeping a gallon in your fridge, like maybe you have to like, go to whatever ice cream shop and you order a small, right? So we can control the dose as opposed to like, hey, I just ate a whole gallon of ice cream on accident. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, of course, sometimes you have to work with the realities of people. So if someone has kids or has, you know, a significant other and that person is keeping things in the house, then it can be trickier. So if you're, you know, living alone or I don't know, maybe you're living with a roommate and the roommate is also into fitness, then of course, these things are much easier. Um, in, in these instances, you have to almost create these boundaries internally. So you kind of have to have to talk with the person and discuss with them that, you know what, just treat that food as if it's like not yours. You have no right of eating that without the permission of the other person. Or, you know, like that's their food, that's your food. Uh, basically treat it as if it like was forbidden for you to to eat that and that's that's kind of what I'm doing when I'm visiting my parents for example and I'm at their house and then they have some stuff around which are not really conducive somehow I always manage to visit them when I'm dieting which is probably not smart <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of what I'm doing in that moment so sometimes it, it it is hard to be as practical as what I outlined in the beginning, but I think it's it, it more so comes down to the mindset of not trying to set yourself some sort of ideal of, okay, this is the person that I want to be like, and if I cannot hit that standard, then I'm failing. Because I think there's a lot of value in simp simply realizing what your weaknesses are and where your shortcomings can really like hit you in the face and just simply working with those limitations. Um, I think there's a certain amount of humility that has to be there. And I, th I think once we acknowledge that, you know what, I am fallible, I can fall for these behaviors, the urges to binge and the power of these super palatable, super calorie-dense foods are beyond me. I think I think there is a lot of strength that can be gathered from that. And that's what they're using with alcoholics a lot of the times. Like the first step is 
I acknowledge that I have a problem with alcohol and then that this alcohol addiction is stronger than me, which is kind of counterintuitive because why not say like I am stronger than this, like alcohol has no power over me. But as long as you have that mindset, it is actually a lot harder to break free from the behavior that we want to break free from because then you're kind of not honoring the problem that you have, um, so to speak. So yeah, pretty fascinating psychology that there is uh, behind this whole thing. No, it is It is all very, very, very interesting stuff. And like you mentioned, I'm sure we'd go on about this for a long time. Yeah. I do want to be respectful of your time though, man. So one last thing that I wanted to ask you about before I let you go, um, as far as the whole like tracking versus not tracking. Now, I don't at all think that you are someone that's like, like you've mentioned on this podcast, I don't think you would all see it. Like everyone should universally track or everyone should universally not track. But can you just give us some insight into as far as where, where do you stand with that now? Like long-term for people, are you a fan of having people continue to track or do you prefer an intuitive approach? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this is something I've been thinking about a lot because, you know, this is, that that's a pretty big statement. If you say like in the long term, I'm not a fan of X, you know, cause, uh, if people are listening to you, then, you know, that, that can have big implications. So I would say that I'm definitely not against tracking, even potentially as a long-term solution. There are people who just like tracking, you know, there are people who have a very healthy, reasonable relationship with fitness, with food, with their nutrition, and tracking is a part of that day-to-day that doesn't interfere with the quality of their life. I I do not think whatsoever that in that case, someone has to give them the hard talk that, no, no, you're being obsessive. Um, what I'm not a big fan of is when someone is in a state where they feel like they need to track, otherwise they would get fat. So I don't, I'm not a fan of the perceived need of tracking continuously in order to, you know, prevent fat gain, because that assumes that the person has not adopted systems, habits, and kind of the proper mindset around fitness and nutrition. So I think, even if someone tracks in the long term, they should get to a place where they could just not track and get just as good of a result if they wanted to. And I, I think there are a lot of people who can do that. So I would definitely not say that I'm not a fan of tracking per se. Like I wouldn't put it in that black and white of a fashion. Um, I do think that there are some elements of tracking that can inherently make it less sustainable than a more habit-based approach. So there is some weird psychology that tracking can induce. It doesn't have to be that way. I'm not saying this is unavoidable, but the potential is there. So, you know, when everything is going well, you're just kind of doing your thing, you're in a routine, you know exactly what you're going to eat, and you just have a meal plan or something like that based on numbers, then everything is all good. But then, you know, what happens when you're more hungry in a meal, you decide to eat more. And then the whole dilemma begins like, okay, what do I do for my next meal? What do I do the next day? It's like, oh shit, I'm still hungry, but I'm kind of out of the numbers. Or I'm going out to eat in this restaurant. Oh my God, like what are the numbers going to be like there? It's like, okay, now I'm eating this. I estimated this restaurant meal to be around 1200 calories. Now my girlfriend wants to share the meal, offer some part of her meal. Oh my God, what am I doing with that? You know, so like a lot of little things like this, which can be the antichrist situation of a hardcore macro tracker. So I think, I think the potential is there for these things to become real stressors. Um, which is which definitely can be worked around. So I'm not trying to pose that either as, okay, like this is going to happen if you track, so beware. Um, you know, for a while, I kind of positioned myself as someone who is very much against tracking. 
I think that fundamentally came from the fact that when I got into the fitness industry, in in the capacity that I was actually creating content and doing podcasts and, and things, I th- I would say that was the end of the the golden days or the glory days of if it fits your macros, where the prevailing thought was that tracking macros precisely, doing that day in day out. And fitting in all kinds of fun foods in moderation, that's like the pinnacle of fitness. Like when you reach that state, that's when you became a master of your body, and that's when you reach the final destination. And, you know, by extension of that, the other idea that came out of that is that if you're not tracking, then don't expect any good results. And more likely, if you're not tracking, but you're just avoiding certain foods and you're eating mainly these foods, then it's like... It equals an eating disorder. Basically, that was one of the prevailing thoughts. And, you know, I very much felt the need to push back against that. And I think when you do that, I think it's very easy to fall for kind of the other extreme and, you know, pose that or propose the idea that tracking is like very unsustainable and not tracking is the best thing. So I, I may have fallen for that a little bit. I still think that there is a lot of benefits for most people to learn to auto regulate their food intake. I think for many, that is indeed the most sustainable way in the long term. But I do think that there is definitely a place for tracking, even as a long-term solution, if someone can manage that. Okay. I love it. I love it. And honestly, that's what I I agree with you a, a lot, lot more there than I expect to, honestly. So basically, you're saying <laughs> it very much depends on the individual. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would also say, you know, just to kind of take this even further, like there are some situations where tracking is not only more effective, but can be flat out less stressful. So for example, during my photo shoot diet, near the end, I was just feeling like shit all the time. And I was hungry all the time. You know, if I was trying to not track, then it would have been a lot more stressful because each and every day I would would, would have been like, okay, did I overeat? Like, did I still manage this? Like, no, it was a lot easier to just know like, okay, these are the numbers. As long as I'm following these, more than likely I will be in a deficit. So it was it was a lot easier that way. Also, like if someone is just very non-responsive to the scale because they're they have gut issues or they are retaining a ton of water and they just cannot track anything. In that case, it can be very relaxing to know that, okay, the, I'm following these numbers. I'm on the right track. It's just like my body is doing weird things, so it's hard to track progress. So I, I, I think there are many instances where it would actually be way more stressful and involve way more neuroses to try to do it in an auto-regulated fashion. So yeah, it's, it's, there's definitely a lot of gray, gray area here. <laughs> No, absolutely. And like, I know personally, I see so many individuals that will start coaching with me that have like, there are this long, long list of foods that they're afraid of. Right. And they've always tried more of like, okay, just avoid eating these foods. And that's how I lose fat. And for many individuals like that, then it's actually a super empowering thing to be like, okay, look at this. Like if we make this work with your overall goals, now I'm not at all advocating like a purely IFYM approach, but if we make this work within your calorie goals, look, you can still make progress and you don't have to like feel like you completely ruined your body or your progress by just eating this one food. Like look at this. And for like in situations like that, I found it's almost like an empowering thing. Um, I've often found for a time that like, working through a phase of like using that as a way to educate people around like okay here is like these different ways we can work things in and then even like potentially shifting back out of tracking 
can be very helpful for people because but again i think it's all about like how you perceive it yeah 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 honestly i think that's the um, that's the biggest benefit that the if if it's your macros movement brought is the educational component so um i think if someone goes through a phase of tracking then first of all they will never look at foods in the same way and they will make a lot of more intuitive decisions which will serve them if even when they are not tracking or if eventually they want to transition away from tracking even then those tools will become very handy it's like okay well i'm cooking a steak or something i'm not gonna use this much oil because i'm just adding like hundreds and hundreds of calories completely needlessly or oh well i was just snacking on these nuts or peanuts while i was working wow how many calories that racked up so a lot of things like this and of course like these are things that we forget about that we ever had these moments um, because we've been in, in this for so long. But yeah, like the whole fattening food concept or like these are the diet breaker foods. I'm still amazed that there are a lot of people truly who think that because <laughs> they didn't have that kind of education. So like, oh, well, I like I was following this diet. I was doing so well, but I ate this. I blew it. And it's like, no, no, dude, that was like 200 extra calories. You didn't blow anything. So from that standpoint, I think everybody should go through at least a period when they are tracking things. Um, and that, that's what I was trying to convince my girlfriend of for ages, actually. Uh, I, w- I will probably never succeed, but I'm still trying. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking to your point as well, I think if we just like if people have always just followed a purely like IFYM approach, like we mentioned earlier, so many of the foods we eat are literally just so hyper palatable, so easy to overeat and designed to make us want to eat more. <laughs> but like if we never learn these like, OK, I am focusing on these higher volume foods. I'm building my meals around protein. I'm making sure I'm getting a lot of fiber within my day. Like if we never teach clients habits like that, then they are never going to be able to auto regulate their appetite. And I think like for long term maintenance, that is also so again, it's very much like a mixed bag because we also if we don't educate people how to do that, then the reality like if they don't have the solid foundation of like protein, fiber, high volume, low energy density foods then long-term maintenance is always going to be very much a struggle. So, (laughs) again, it's very much like tons of different perspectives we could take here. Um, But again, man, I want to be super respectful of your time. So before I let you go, is there anything else at all you would like to plug? Oh, well, first of all, thank you very much. Uh, It was an honor to be on. And what I would like to plug is, um, yeah, so I have a website. It's... um, ablessd.com so able my name and then ssd for sustainable self development and there you can find like information about like coaching and uh, some articles that i wrote up and then i have my uh, youtube channel which is ssd able so two s a d and able right and there i'm the most active oh oh, and i have an instagram too which i believe is also ssd able but i could be wrong about that (laughs) uh yeah that's pretty much it perfect i will link all that up in the show notes and again man thank you so much for being here awesome and thank you so much and yeah have a good one